Hello and welcome to Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that aims to redefine what it means to reach our full potential by exploring how movement and mindset impacts our lives and how we can all work to be the best versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I speak with Nick Jonsson. Nick is an Ironman triathlete. Uh, He is a number one international best-selling author. He's a speaker, and he is also an executive mental health advocate. He is the co-founder and managing director of Executives Global Network that focuses on building a caring community that provides a safe haven for executives to share their challenges, receive support, and learn from one another. His most recent book, Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcome Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World, was a jumping off point for our conversation. We talk about the impact of loneliness in both endurance sports as well as in the workplace, the importance of mental health in how we think about reaching our full potential, how we think about pursuing our goals, and the fact that loneliness is, one, something that we don't talk about very much, but two, is such a pervasive component of so many people's lives. We experience, um, we experience loneliness in endurance sports when we're training so often. The path to reaching our goals is a lonely one. We might have support from our family, our coaches, our team, but the pursuit of those goals is inherently a lonely endeavor. Reaching our goals in, uh, in our career can be lonely. Um, so we talk about what that looks like and how we can change it. It has a profound impact on our performance as athletes, our well-being as individuals, as well as our overall satisfaction when we reach those goals. If the path and route to the thing that we've said we want the most is lonely and feels isolating, then it's not going to be fulfilling when we get there. We talk about concepts like resilience and how resilience is a crucial skill for people to develop. Um, Nick's background as a triathlon uh, athlete has taught him the importance of having a goal-driven mindset and the ability to bounce back from setbacks. And he shares what those setbacks look like, what it looks like, um, or the experience he had when he wasn't able to show up for a race uh, because he um, he didn't take care of himself. Um, and, he, and resilience at that time um, wasn't something that he was able to deploy. And, and his push and drive uh, was not coming from, from a healthy place both in the work environment as well as in his athletic endeavors. So, so many amazing opportunities here. Nick's um, depth and breadth uh, of, of experiences and background, both in the professional setting as well as in the, the athletic setting, are ones that we can all pull from. And, and our conversation is one that really blends both of these aspects of Nick's life. We pull in the very real parallels from what it looks like to train for something like an Ironman uh, event, and then what it looks like to to stay connected to our goals um, and be driven and uh, look to accomplish big things both in the professional 
space as well. And, and Nick has certainly done both of those and has combined those two passions uh, into advocacy work and, and into uh, a supportive place where, um, where high performers, um, high achievers can get the support that they need. So an amazing conversation uh, with Nick. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one that I was, I was grateful to be able to have the time and space to dive into. Uh, Nick brings so much to our conversation in, uh, in his expertise, his vulnerability, his ability to be genuine and honest with his experiences as well as um, the people that, uh, that he's worked with. So as always, you can find more information on everything that we talk about at thomasendurancecoaching.com. If you need support uh, in uh, in the endurance sports space, if you're looking for someone to have your back and to be in your corner, uh, we are always uh, grateful to provide that support to athletes around the world. You can come to thomasendurancecoaching.com, click the button in the top right corner, and um, we will be more than happy to set up uh, a free consultation with you to understand how we can support you. And enduranceminded.com, let us know what you think. Scroll to the bottom of the page, leave us a comment, let us know what you thought about this episode, um, your wins, your losses, your struggles, your successes we want to share in your journey. Thank you so much to our amazing community and all of our listeners. Uh, it's something that brings me a tremendous amount of joy, and I can't thank all of you enough. Um, we'd love to hear from you at enduranceminded.com. And last but not least, rate, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. If you've yet to do so, if you already have, find another friend. Who else could benefit from this? Um, so much of our community is based on um, those of you that are involved and are our avid uh, listeners. So thanks for all of your support, and uh, please continue to share. And if you've yet to do so, rate and subscribe so you can be um, alerted when we release a new episode every other Tuesday at noon. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Nick Janssen. Hello, Nick. Welcome to Endurance Minded. Thank you so much, Taylor. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you. Um, any number of opportunities to, to start and places to kick this, uh, this conversation off. And uh, I'm certainly excited to see where it goes. But I think a good place to start would be maybe just um, maybe just give us a, an overview of, of your personal journey. I, I, there's a lot. When I read your story um, and started to read your book, there's, there's a lot of areas I connected with. And, and I think that there's so much kind of of your personal experience that resonates with any number of people in any number of different positions. And so I'd, I'd love for you just to to bring us up to speed on to kind of what got you to where you're at now and, and give us that, um, that recap of that person of your personal journey. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure to do so. So I was born in Sweden, then I was educated in Australia and then I, I lived and worked the last 20 years or so in Southeast Asia. So mainly in Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand and Singapore. Uh, that's where I'm running a business these days as well. Uh, before um, I started my own business, though. I was in the corporate world, working my way up, starting as an account executive in an American advertising company in Bangkok, and then eventually becoming you know, the general manager, then managing director, running big teams, and so in Southeast Asia. And uh, while that was what I wanted to do, that was my goal, that was my target, 
once I achieved it, I was sitting at the top and I was quite lonely. And that's when I decided to sort of look at, can I live my life in a different way? And that meant twofold. One was then to go on my own and doing more entrepreneurial journey. But secondly, and we'll talk about this, in uh, get letting go of some of my bad habits, including junk food and too much alcohol, and instead really living a life where uh, I'm much more in the wilderness, more sport, and also really, really looking after my diet these days. Yeah. Yeah, so I know part of your, your process... Or, or part of your journey, rather, was was to train for um, your first Ironman. It was Ironman Sweden. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I'm curious, what what about that process? What about committing to um, to training for for an Ironman was important to you? And, and what did you get out of that while you were trying to navigate all of these dynamic? circumstances and personal things and job. And I know there was a lot going on in the mix there when you, when you committed to that. So yeah, walk me through that. I'm just curious what place that held for you uh, in that time in your life. Yeah. And we then go back 10 years in time. So at that time I'm still in, in a corporate job. I'm still married to my, who is now my ex-wife. And I started to get into endurance sport. I'd done uh, some shorter triathlons. I'd done a marathon, but then I signed up for the full distance uh, Ironman. And as most of the listeners may know, it means training 20, 25 hours a week. So it's quite a major commitment. If you have your family, you're a managing director of a big company, plus the training, it's quite hard to balance it. And if you add on that, that you're trying to also perhaps eat junk food and you're also going to the bar, enjoying yourself, trying to have a good time, then eventually something has to go. And that's what happened in my life. I I then burnt out and I resigned from my job and I, I then also filed for a divorce. I was in a very bad space uh, around that time. I managed to complete the first race, but it was it was painful. It was really painful. In 2015, then I signed up for another Ironman race, but I didn't even make it to the starting line. I was then in a full-blown personal crisis. Mm. What, what kept you from the starting line? Just, uh, just uh, the challenging situations in, in your life, or what, what was that? Yeah, to keep up with the training, you need to have some peace of mind and things need to be pretty much in order. It's just too hard. And uh, at that stage, then I had, was going through a divorce. I didn't have that peace of mind. I didn't sleep well. So that meant that, you know, I canceled too many training sessions and the pressure was accumulating to the point where, you know, uh, this is not going to be a good experience. And then I'm sort of the kind of guy that either I do it or I don't. So I pulled the plug. Uh, what I didn't realize, though, that pulling the plug on that, I, I, I really lost myself. I didn't have any goals. So I lost my um, all my health interest. And, and in 2016 and 17, my life was even worse. Uh, I, I lost fitness. I gained a lot of weight. And in the end, I, I could hardly run uh, or hardly go for a short jog. Do you feel like that's an important, um, let me back up, I guess, with, with maybe a, a more targeted question that comes to mind is when you're, when you're operating at a high level, like you, you are and, and, and have been, um, is it important, do you think, to have those personal goals? Is that, is that, a, is that an important cornerstone to have something like, and of course, it doesn't have to be an Ironman, but to, to have that thing that, that keeps your attention and keeps you, you focused kind of on your, 
you know, whether it's personal health or just making that time for yourself. Cause it's, it's so easy to get lost in everybody else's stuff. You know, you have a, you know, high pressure job and family and all the things that, that so many people, you know, are navigating. I don't know what, does that play a role in kind of how you think about setting those goals or, or where you were at at that time? What's that felt like for you? Yeah, it definitely felt like I needed to do something for myself. And, and the way I look at the, the sports and in, in triathlon, it's swimming, cycling and running. You get a couple of things. First, you're getting out in nature. You're coming out of the city or out of the office. You're forced to go in in the nature and, and that has benefits. Secondly, uh, you can divide up the training, and I do that even today. I do that partly. You go on your own, so that's sort of your meditation space. That's when you get time with yourself and you empty yourself, and and you really can go deep inside yourself. And then there's the social side as well. Uh, so in my case, then you have the swim academies, the running clubs, and the cycling clubs, and that is then replacing perhaps the time in the bar and changing from some bad habits, which I had in my case, and into good habits and better relationships where it's about doing something meaningful together. So in that sense, it has had a, a huge impact on me. But in order to show up for all these sessions, uh, many times, especially in Southeast Asia, we have a lot of traffic and so on. It's getting up there in the middle of the night at 4 a.m. Even before the fishermen come out, you know, you're out there and get out and do your training before the traffic hits the road. And it is tough. And if you don't have a goal, uh, like a marathon or a cycle race or something to look forward to, or some camaraderie, camaraderie with some of your friends and clubs and commitments, then it's pretty easy to say, no, nah, that's too hard work. I'm not going to do that. And that's what the majority do. They, they love to do this, but not many are able to pull it off. Yeah. You bring up a good point, the, the camaraderie piece. Uh, I mean, that's such a, you know, it's so easy to be, um, to do all these things solo, you know, forget about that, that, the the value and power of, of connection connecting through these different endeavors and i know that's something you've you've talked a lot about and wrote uh, about is the you know loneliness and sport and leadership um yeah what what's i mean what what um what role does loneliness play or or what's what's the value for you of that connection piece to try to move us away from that that you know, inherent loneliness, you know, component of, of, you know, Ironman or, or leadership. Yeah. So I think, um, isolation was something that I didn't realize I was suffering from. I just thought that the feelings I had around work and the pressures I had, I thought they came with a job. So when I left the office, I could feel a lot of pressure many times. And, and uh, either I went to the bar and have some drinks with my friend and let the pressure go and had some good time, or I went for a workout and forgot about it. But the issue was that when I came back to the office, the issues were still there. I didn't really know how to speak. I didn't yet know how to be vulnerable and with whom. I didn't, for example, have a proper setup with mentor, sponsor or coaches who I was open and honest and vulnerable with. Uh, that was the issue. And, and therefore, you know, when I came into the bar scene, for example, I have a good time with my friends. We were laughing, looking at some sport, having a great time. Uh, but I didn't share what was on my mind. I didn't share what was really going through uh, my mind and the challenges I was facing. So I, I wasn't ready to be honest. I was not vulnerable. And that was the issues. And that is why I was going through some 
really, really difficult times then during a few years because I kept trying to find the solutions myself rather than utilizing the amazing network I had. And the camaraderie was right there. I was part of the running clubs and so on, but I didn't share anything about what was going on in my life. I didn't ask my network for, for help. It's so easy to be lonely when we're surrounded by people. You know, I know maybe even more so or, or, or more so in, in, in a leadership position is that we have all these people around us, right? You have a team and you have, you know, and then we come home and oftentimes there's family there and seemingly there's, there's infinite numbers of opportunities or places where we could be supported but we still feel lonely. Is that, and you just touched on it, but maybe we could just expand on that because I'm, I'm interested in your experience there. Is, is it just, uh, is, it, is it fear? Is it, is it a lack of knowing how to be vulnerable? I mean, what, what keeps us lonely when we're literally surrounded by people all the time? Um, what's been your experience there? And then maybe even, you know, what you've seen with other folks, you know, in, in similar situations. Yeah, I think it all starts also within. If we are not well physically and mentally and emotionally by ourselves, then we are very scared to be vulnerable around other people. And if we have lost a connection in ourselves, then we lose naturally the connection to other people. And I could be in a room full of family or colleagues or friends at that time, and I, it didn't feel right. I I had some to go to the point where, you know, if I medicated myself with some alcohol, uh, for example, then I, that, that pressure went and I was uh, more at ease getting along with people. And of course, that then leads to that you drink more because you're letting the steam go and the pressure leaves you. And therefore, the, the, in my case, this bad habit turned to an addiction during this stage. And, and that is the issue. And uh, it might not only be alcohol. We have so many uh, things around us today. It can be, it can be dry gambling, can be social media, sex, and all kind of form of addictions that creeps in then if we don't find that kind of connection. And that is the real issue. Uh, and so indeed, it's, it's a tough space to be being in a room full of people where you're supposed to uh, feel uh, warmly connected, but you don't. And I imagine, too, there's a piece of that specifically from the you know executive and leadership space where it's, it's set up to be you know, top down, right. Where you're supposed to have, or, or the, the, the expectation often is that you have all the answers and you are the most put together person in the room and you have all the, you know, all the tools you need to, to process. And so no one, no one ever asks you what you're, how you're doing or how you're, because they just assume you have it, you know, you have it all together. Has that been your experience that, you know, there's this, this construct too, that we don't often give those people in leadership roles, the space to be vulnerable, because we've just imagined that to get there, they had to have all of the, you know, their life together. I'll use quotes. Um, is that, is that accurate? What's been your experience there? Yeah, absolutely. Not only my experience, but also as I was interviewing um, executives for my book and, and surveys and so on. And indeed, the founding, uh, findings were that 33% of the executives I surveyed for the book had feelings of you know, loneliness and isolation in their roles. And that is the issue right there. And you know, then the fact is that not, 
not only do they feel isolated, but they also do not talk about it. They don't do anything for it, for the reason that you just mentioned. Uh, people would assume that they have it all together when they clearly don't. And many of these senior executives are also uh, high achievers and anxious overachievers, perhaps is a term that also I'm using a lot, that people mm. might be driving themselves to work so hard to get higher and get more to prove to themselves that they can do the job. And what happens then is they end up in positions perhaps that they're not capable of handling. And that certainly was how I felt at that time. I, I felt I couldn't deliver on what I should. Mm. Fear... Fear of failure seems to be something that, one, holds a lot of people back, but two, I know you talk about this in your book, there's also a stigma around failure that, you know, that it is actually failure and not just part of the process. That, that and, and truthfully, I, I mean, that's, we don't learn anything from our successes, right? We should really celebrate those failures, but um, but that's not the case, right? It's not the case in, in, um, in athletics, right? We, we tend to get very bogged down in our failures, whether it's just a, a training session doesn't go well, a race doesn't go well. Um, and maybe you can speak to that, like if that played a role when you, when you didn't make it to the start line for your Ironman. But yeah, maybe just curious kind of that role of failure for you and, and then even how we how do we leverage it or what's the opportunity there to change the narrative to make that actually something that doesn't bog us down and get us into those lonely places? Yeah, the fear of failure is huge. And I think uh, indeed we live in a society that uh, still, you know, looks at the winners and you can only look at sport. Uh, if there's the Olympics or a football game, or no matter what it is, it's only the winner that really gets the glory and the trophy. And perhaps number two is the first loser. And it's the same in the workplace. It's one person that get a promotion and many times one person that is, is glorified. I know that we are trying to change this, but um, stereotypically, this is still the way it looks like and people are scared of being number two and do anything to reach that position to be in there that was certainly my case all the way from university once I got a taste for uh, you know getting some certificate or award for topping the class or getting a scholarship uh, I wanted more of that it became addicted to me as well and I was chasing it and so on and there's many of those types in these uh, in these senior roles out there and therefore it becomes almost like a bloodbath with everyone trying you know to to get higher and get more and more and when you have that mindset you're stepping perhaps on other people's uh, toes you know and you have to elbow your way up rather than building a supportive uh, working culture so i i completely agree uh, taylor that we have this issue is there is there an opportunity to reframe that failure component so it actually opens up a chance to be vulnerable? You know, I mean, is there, I, I just, I go back to, and even in my own journey, you know, just as a, as someone who admittedly is, would identify, you know, as a high achiever and someone who has oftentimes maybe, uh, goals that are too lofty, um, you know, yeah, you just can't stand the, the thought of failing. And, and then, and then you look around you and you really can't stand the idea of telling the people around you that you failed or having them recognize that. And then that, that, that pulls you more inward, right? Then you start to just grapple with your own 
stuff. You're like, well, I'll handle it. I need to figure it out on my own because I can't surely tell these people around me, whether it's family or coworkers or, or team or whatever. Um, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the, what's the shift there to make failure less problematic? I mean, what's that, what's that looked like for you? Or maybe even just your, what you see as, as the opportunity there as we shift that narrative. Well, I think we can look at it in, in two sides here. One, perhaps the corporate side and one uh, for the athlete. So if we look at the corporate side first, and uh, now when I'm running uh, sort of more of an entrepreneurial business, I have been able to create a culture uh, for myself. And I didn't want to have the kind of corporate culture I was in before. I wanted to have a more open and warmer culture. And I have created that with the company. We have a fail fast policy where people are not uh, scared of failing instead they even have parts of the budgets which we call experimental or experiment budgets like 20% of the budgets you know this is for testing and trying and you can whatever happens with that it should be a learning and you should share instead with the team what did we learn from this so if we use for example in marketing if we test the supplier for a month or two months then it's an experiment and there's no expectations that this has to go right we have to get everything right the most important is what can we learn from this this is something that if we don't continue with this supplier what did we learn from this what can we implement and do ourselves in turn in the company so if we have this mindset of you know learning from everything instead of, of calling it a failure then things are working better and I also created a culture where everyone is welcome to book meetings with me one-on-one. -on -one. And the good thing is now, with, of course, it's easy to do this online, easy to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I'm trying to be there for the team and, and, and not judge them, not blame them. Instead, try to, try to see what we learn from it and how we can do it differently. So that's the corporate world. When it comes to the sports world, um, these are also conversations that I have with the athletes. And I spend... Most of my time these days in Thailand, Phuket, in an uh, Ironman training camp, should I say. Um, it's the camp of Jürgen Sack. He was eight times uh, in the top 10 world champion in Kuna. He's my coach and he's also running this academy. So there's a lot of world champions around there. There's pro athletes and so on. And yet it, it, it's very competitive. But even there in the camp, uh, we, we have this open culture of trying to uh, talk to each other and see what we can learn from it. And really, uh, uh, instead of blaming, it is sharing what we can learn from it. And even, even in the training sessions, there's constantly some elements of surprise involved because that's when you're competing. Uh, anything can happen on the day. So you've got to be ready to tackle any challenge. If you're like me, you know how important it is to fuel your activities and ensure you're recovering properly in between workouts. That's where the Amino Company comes in. With their products, Heal and Perform, I'm able to access sustained energy and increased power output during my workouts, as well as recover faster and more efficiently. I use Heal for recovery. It's a 100% science-backed formula that was originally developed for astronauts to maintain muscle mass in space. Taking Heal after my training has allowed me to increase my recovery and decrease soreness, making my body feel stronger and healthier overall. This patented science-backed amino acid blend is designed to replenish your sore muscles after tough workouts. Heal's great for post-workout nutrition and is scientifically more than three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than any other protein source. Perform is my go-to for before and during training sessions. 
Perform has been scientifically proven to improve muscle performance, reduce fatigue and recovery times, and increase the benefits from your workouts. Perform is formulated to minimize muscle breakdown during exercise and maximize muscle growth after exercise. Since taking Perform, I've seen increases in my maximal strength in the gym as well as feel the benefits during endurance training. It provides sustained and lasting energy throughout my day without any crash or harmful side effects. I've been using Perform and Heal from the Amino Company daily, and I've seen huge improvements in both my performance and recovery. As a business owner and athlete, I'm beyond excited to have found something that helps me get the most out of my training and recovery so that I can maximize my precious training time. So right now, when you visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30 at checkout, you get 30% off. So if you're looking to take your recovery to the next level and try science-backed products designed to boost your performance by up to three times, then visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30, that's EM30 at checkout, to get 30% off plus a free gift with purchase. That's aminoco.com backslash EM30. Use offer code EM30 at checkout. One of the, uh, the things that comes to mind, we're talking about training camps and, and uh, you know, creating workplace culture and, and, and all these, these opportunities for growth and um, r- resiliency is, is something I know that you've, you've talked about. Um, and maybe I just see an opportunity to, to speak to that, you know, or that's kind of one of the first things that comes to mind and thinking about doing all these things that are really challenging, right? Creating a workplace culture where people feel safe to, to fail is not easy. You know, that is not something that, that comes naturally. Even, even when we say like, it's okay to fail, people don't like to fail. Right. So then we have to then create a space where, where there is this, you know, resiliency component or, or they know that they can come back. And of course in, in sport, we have to keep coming back, right? Every day is not, is, is our best day. And it's the cumulative effort of what we put in over long periods of time. So yeah, what, what role does resiliency play for you? And um, yeah, like what is it and how, how do we develop it? Cause I, it gets tossed around a lot. Um, but I feel like you have a, you've put a very fine point on it. So what's that? What is it? And how do we, how do we get to it? Well, I, I think it comes back to first with vulnerability and creating that trust there. And I say it has to start with the leader. It has to start with the top, uh, from the top. And let me give you an example here. Um, in my book, I'm, I'm quite vulnerable. I'm sharing the moments when I hit my rock bottom, uh, when I was at the lowest point of my life in 2018. And I broke my will and my testament and I couldn't see my way out of this. Um, this is inside my book. And when I have a job interview for someone who want to join my company, I send them a copy of the ebook. And if they don't have time to read all of it, I don't expect that. I at least pinpoint them to this page where they can read about that. So when they're coming into a job interview, they've already seen the darkest moment of my life there. So they should feel pretty safe to be a bit more honest and vulnerable with me in the interview and be themselves rather than putting on a show. Uh, I had a job interview a few years ago with uh, uh, one candidate who shared that he had uh, two suicide attempts behind him and he shared a scar on his body from this. 
And that was one of the first things he said in this job interview. I hired him. He's still working with me today. Uh, so you can imagine what kind of open relationship we have uh, moving forward from that experience. And how do I link this back to resilience? Well, if you set the scene by having this trust built there, we will go through anything together uh, when we work together. We will look at things, you know, if we start by that, then nothing will be as challenging as the first conversation we had. And, and that's what I mean with leading by vulnerability and being human and show that, you know, we all go through uh, up and downs in, in, in this roller coaster of life. But this has to come from the leader because then... Also, I'm demonstrating time and time again when I'm going through difficult training sessions and I've been training here in Sweden recently and it's been really cold. I've been cycling in some heavy storms in almost freezing degrees, you know, and I, I take these videos and I share with people and I don't change my training schedule. The last three months, I, I, if it's locked in, I go as long as I can see the road. And if the lightning and thunder is not uh, so bad that they blow me off the road, then I will be out there tackling every condition because you learn something from that experience as well. <laughs> that's a, that's a lesson in resiliency for sure. Right. It's uh, it's, it's, we, we've, it's so easy now to, to, uh, to cancel the session or to move it indoors or to go to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, indoor training environment or, or something. So good, uh, good on you. That's, uh, that's, that's impressive. Um, what I mean, I guess to that end, you know, there, there's 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 a real need. I, I would say I'd be interested to get your take on this. But you know, when you when you when you push through through those challenging times, or or let's even back up, you're you're kind of staring down what you know is going to really push you. Right? This could be in sport, in life, building a business, and. And so there's, you know, there's a resiliency component there, but there also has to be some deeper undercurrent, right? It's this kind of your why or, or finding your purpose. Um, what, what's the role of that been for you maybe in, you know, in, in either one or both of those genres in terms of sport and, and business and what, what keeps you coming back? Cause it's, even when we have these vulnerability, you know, these, some of these amazing tools, still hard you know it still is uncomfortable it's still all of these things um so yeah what's what's that what's finding your purpose or we call it your why um what's what's that what's that for you yeah if we first look back on on sports then so as i mentioned i've been in sweden the last couple of months to training i have a full distance ironman event uh, race next week actually and uh, i don't have an indoor trainer here with me i and i have my coaches giving me the training plan and i'm also working uh, full-time so i have that schedule for training and there's no alternative because it's enough hours in the training plan i just cannot push it to the next day so training has to be done no matter what and uh, i have the obligation to my coach uh, to complete it and i also set the goal on the time i want to achieve so it just doesn't cross my mind that i can constantly it's not an it's not an option so i think that's linked back to the resilient piece and and just pushing on and and having to show up being your best and 
I, I know also uh, that you've been talking about that, you know, and, and you've been a coach yourself. And that's why uh, as an athlete, uh, it's very, very hard to not have someone who you are accountable to. Yes, there's apps there you can sign up with, but that's not the same as having someone, even if they just make your schedule once a week and send you and someone who you at least can consult with who's there on the sideline and holding you accountable. That's how I came back. When I was at my lowest point, I, I got a life coach, not an Ironman coach per se, but someone who could just get me back some small targets, some goals, getting back wearable devices. And we set a small fitness target. And I also then scaled myself every day, looking at the calories and just to get back. And so it works at any level. It doesn't have to be at the top endurance level. It can be just getting off the sofa and trying to get back on track again. Yeah, that's great. Your your race. What what race is next weekend? Is it Sweden? Yeah, it's I, the full distance uh, Ironman Sweden next week. Yeah. What's your What's your goal time? You want to share? Oh, you'll be the first one I share with. Uh, I'm I'm targeting sub ten hours, which would be fantastic for me. I'm I'm soon fifty years of age. So that'd be great. That's incredible. Oh, good for you. I love that. That's great. Well, it sounds like you're doing all the all the work. So I'm. Uh, and you put up with all the conditions, so you won't be surprised if anything, you know, cold, cold, uh, cold conditions, rainy, cold water, uh, whatever that is. Um, that's great. All right, we're gonna we'll check back in with an update to see if you. Yeah, <laughs> but everybody can follow your your journey. Um, so let's let's go. Um, I mean, so we got you know, 2018 was your your rock bottom, like you shared, and then. Um, you started to, uh, what, I guess I'm curious there, you know, there was obviously just a, a massive transition there where, you, you know, you identified this, this loneliness and this ultimately led you to, to where you're at today in large part. And, um, but I mean, what was that identification process like? Cause I, I talked to a lot of people that, it's, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Like you, you, we can see it, right? Like as a coach and as someone who's maybe in a mentorship position or whatever, you can see that this person needs support, but they can't see it. And they're, you know, they, they have to be the one to initiate. So maybe just, I'm curious what that next from, from, you know, here I am at rock bottom to, let me change my life and identify what I need. What, what were some of those steps and, and what did that part of the journey look like to actually get you to the other side of, you know, what you saw as your full potential and, and you know, possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk you through that. And that's really the summary of my book where I lay out the five steps there. And we can perhaps just talk briefly through those five steps. And we will come to the fifth step, which is going to answer your question before about the purpose as well. So the first step here, uh, when I was on, at my rock bottom, I luckily I, I shared uh, with my new wife was getting remarried here. I shared with her how I, how I felt. And as they say, a problem shared is a problem halved. She immediately dragged me to a doctor and she told the doctor my story as well. So suddenly, you know, immediately there was two people knowing and I, I was basically exposed. And 
from there on, I, I, there was no way back. And the next day, we spoke with someone else who had gone through similar challenges before, and she then linked me to a recovery group, and I was sitting in a 12-step recovery program and listening, and suddenly I was sitting in that circle listening to other people who'd gone through similar challenges before, other business people who said, yeah, I had this going through five years ago, 10 years ago. And then all the stigma was lifted from me. I felt, oh, I'm not alone in this. It's been other people who've gone through similar challenges. And that gave me a lot of hope. And, and that was then the first step. And, and I was asked then uh, to take a stock, basically, either by pen and paper or a spreadsheet, where I wrote down all the issues I had and uh, the pains that was inside me. And on that list had to be that I was overweight in my diet, too much alcohol. I had some broken relationships, damaged relationship. I had to really write this inventory list. Uh, and, 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 and just like you would do if you're a, a store owner or a shopkeeper, you would do an audit. But how often do we as human beings, uh, as sports people or business people, taking this proper look at ourselves. And as you said, you can't see the forest for the trees. And that's what we're talking about here. That was what I had to do. Uh, and that is the step one uh, that I have included in my book. So taking stock. Beautiful. What, um, I mean, I'm curious, would you, would you mind sharing some of those, like those next steps? And obviously we'll direct folks to the to the book, but I, I feel like there's an opportunity here to just, um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of further highlight your, your journey, what, what is, what does two through five look like? And, you know, even if you don't want to share them specifically, maybe just at a, at a macro level, what it looks like to bring, bring you kind of out of that, that place into a, a much more positive place where you can have that clarity and, and not be so lonely. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk through them. So the second step then was asking for help. So once you made that list with all those issues, it was looking at every line. And I did this with my sponsor. You can do it with a coach or a mentor where you look line by line. Okay, I have this issue. Who can you take this to? Who can you ask for help? And there will be coaches, mentors, there will also be charity organizations and so on who can help you. There might be a book you can pick up and audio book to sort these issues out. And so that was the second step, really uh, looking at every line. Uh, and again, as you said, people might not see it themselves, so they need some guidance or help here. Uh, and together then with your coach, you can sit down and, and look at them, just creating this list here of, of who you can ask for help. And that's what I did. And that is when things started to really take off for me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that feels often like the hardest part, right? The asking for help. I mean, that feels like where most people get, get hung up. Even if you've identified that you're, you're, you know, feeling lonely, you're, you're not, you know, you, maybe you're spiraling, all these things are happening. Um, that's where people stop, right? Um, in my, in, from what I can, you know, see out in the world. Um, what what's what's your advice or, or guidance and in, in how to get people one to a place where they feel like they can ask for help, but then maybe it's even identifying who, who that person is. Maybe, I don't know if that is is an issue or, or a, a stumbling block for people, but you know, we look out in the world and we go, well, who who do, who do I ask? Where is that person at? Are they someone I already know? Do I need to find someone else? I don't know what what's that. How do we get them to that next, to that very important number two step? 
Yeah, and uh, that actually links nicely into this third step then, because then it was about getting healthy. So I was looking at that list of all the things I needed help with. The things you tackle first is everything related to your physical and mental and emotional health, really to get yourself in shape again. So that's, uh, you know, looking after your diet and your sleep and tracking, getting some daily exercise going, because it's very hard to do anything else before you get some self-confidence in yourself. And this is what's going to happen here. Uh, you're getting off that sofa, you start eating healthier, you sleep better. You have some small wins and there's nothing better than losing some weight or, or so on. Then you're getting that confidence to be ready for uh, what then is the fourth step is nurturing healthy relationships where the people that you have harmed or the people that you have issues with, and most people have some relationship issues, uh, with an ex-wife or colleagues or a neighbor, there's been things that's been said that wasn't perhaps nice. So in the fourth step, then, uh, it's working with a coach or a sponsor here to really go back and make amends and apologize and set things right so that you can move forward without any pain. The self-confidence piece is... Uh is an interesting point. I, it's something that I've talked a lot about and I, I believe strongly in is that from a, from a health and wellness perspective, you know, f- f- just from, I think that there's so much power in, in that commitment to ourselves before we commit to something else, you know, and, and that you, you, you have to, you know, t- like you said, I mean, you, you have to feel good, in your own body, or certainly it's going to make things much more fruitful if, if you feel healthy and strong and happy and confident before you then go try to do something else that is challenging. Um, so what's, you know, and even in, in the work that you're doing currently with leaders uh, and executives, what's, what's your just kind of, I guess, take or opinion on, on that commitment to ourselves so that we can do other challenging things. Yeah, it's all about self-leadership, right? We have to lead ourselves before we can lead others. And that's why it starts within and feeling good and so on before we can tackle that. And um, I I was just speaking with one uh, speaker who uh, who is talking on the topic of self-leadership and he reflected on some of the photos of him at the last conference when he was speaking. And he didn't like the photos because his belly was a bit big. He said, who am I to stand there and talk on this topic when, you know, I'm not fit myself? They, uh, people will judge me. And, and that's exactly what it is. You have to be have your own house in order before you can sort ask someone else to do it. And we, I mean, we, we, we know this with children. It doesn't matter what you tell the child. They copy you anyway. So this is what it's about here. Yeah, so, so sort yourself out and, and then uh, everything else will be much easier. Yeah. I'm curious to get your, maybe just your take on um, a kind of a sentiment that, that I've talked about a lot and it's, it's in the same vein, which is, it's not, uh, it's not selfish to be selfish, meaning that, you know, we have to prioritize that's if we back up one step, what often um, gets in people's way is that they say they don't have time, right? Specifically, and this ties into, people in executive, you know, leadership roles is very busy schedules, right? We have lots of other people and other things that we're responsible for. And so what that often manifests itself as is, well, then I have to do all these things. And at the end of the day, I don't, there's no time left for me. 
and I have, I have, I make the argument daily that it actually should be in reverse, right? You, you build in your time first and that, that might be challenging. There's, you know, there's lim- like you were saying with your Ironman training, like there's limited time in the day, but it is a cornerstone of your day so that you can go and do these other things that you're responsible for. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just curious, you know, on your kind of experience with that and as someone who is a high achiever and has a lot on their plate and is running lots of different organizations and doing lots of different things, how, how, what, what does that need to look like for you? And, you know, what's your, what's your opinion, I guess, on, uh, uh, or your position on, on putting yourself first so that you can show up for other people? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I do as well. And uh, after my race in Sweden, I will go to Phuket and I will stay with uh, in the training camp uh, to train. And I work from there remotely as well. And I have already put in my training schedule because I know the schedule of the uh, the sessions they have from until the end of this year. Uh, and uh, that means uh, they go way in before my business meeting. So it's there before. It's protected and everything else will fall in after that. So it's exactly as you say. And then also another thing, and the, the, the fifth step then of my book, which ties in nicely here, was about finding your purpose. And my purpose then as I come out of my crash myself is really to do what I do today. And thank you, Taylor, for having me on the show sharing this, is to help others to go through this. Because I know there's probably listeners today who will uh, resonate and feeling a bit lonely and feeling isolated and everyone needs some guidance some tip how to break through that so it doesn't go uh, uh, south or go as bad as me you shouldn't have to hit rock bottom and uh, lose everything in your life and rebuild it there should be an easier way and that's my purpose these days now to be of service to others and I should say after I have put in my training schedule and my time for myself, I also put in time for giving back. I put in time for helping out at rehabs, charities, and doing these kind of things to spread a message. And only after that, thirdly, come uh, the time for my business and so on. Yeah, that's great. What what do you think keeps people from doing that? Because I I agree, and that's my approach. I, I have to take care of myself first. And then what is it, what is it that stops people from, from t- taking, you know, tactically the approach that you just outlined? The issue of the corporate world where many people, especially senior executives and so on, perhaps working across different time zones and the pressures and so on, that they just don't have the luxury of doing that. If we are entrepreneurs and building our own business and our culture, we can do that. I have a, a 40 employees in my company now. We haven't had an office uh, for eight years. People are working remotely. They are responsible and have you know, daily targets, weekly targets, monthly targets. And we have a reporting system. And people don't have to tell me if they need two, three hours off to do something. We look at the big picture. And, and, and I encourage people to, to live their life first. And, and as long as the job gets done after. There's something wrong with the big corporate corporations who haven't been able to transform in this way yet. But hopefully they can learn from you and me, Taylor. Yeah, hopefully. What, um, I mean, I'm going to stay on this topic because it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about and and honestly just massively interested in, in, in 
giving people tactical solutions to how to create that space and time. I mean, I, I don't know about for you, but I spend a tremendous amount of time talking to people about where, where is the time? And, and, and you, you make a great point and it's, and it's very real that I, I understand that I have the luxury of creating that space because I'm in complete control and I have complete autonomy of how I move through my day. Now the day might be very busy, but ultimately it is my decision with how to fill it and where I put my time because, because I run my own businesses. Um, I understand that there are people that don't have that luxury and that there are real demands and, and time periods that they have to be available. Um, and like you said, that that gets stretched into the very early morning into the late hours. I work with a lot of people actually in, in Singapore and in Asia, and that is the case. You know, there's the, the window for sleep is small because of the expectation to be on a call at, you know, one in the morning for another time zone and this, that, and the other. So given, given all of that and those very real constructs, you know, when you're working and, and you know, talking to these people, how, how do they create that time? I mean, how do, we, how do we get into a situation or a scenario where they do have some level of autonomy over their ability to, to get their own house in order first so that they don't feel all of these things, you know, the stress and the anxiousness and, and all these things anymore, or, or at least less, less of that. Well, I think it comes down to planning and, and discipline. And uh, for example, I don't have a TV. I, I, there's just no way that I would have time to have, watch TV. If I want to see something, I, I go to the cinema a few times a year and I make a point of making that with my wife and my son or with a family member or a friend. And then we have a good time around that. And it's a special occasion. Um, so we, we and I, I, I don't subscribe to any of the social media news updates. I don't read the news. I don't uh, follow the media. I just don't have the time for those things. So if you prioritize your life to remove all those things and instead you, you, you schedule specifically the things. And I also like to commit to other people. As I mentioned, I belong to the swim academy, running clubs. I have my triathlon group when I'm there. Wherever I go in the world, I plan in advance and I look up the clubs. I join, I, I write to them. As soon as I will book a flight ticket somewhere, I look up and I will put, ask for the training schedule. I will stick it in my calendar before the things are there. Then I just stick to it. I've done that for years and years. And uh, it would be very, very rare if something is moved um, uh, if something happens that I'm sick, then maybe I go for a walk those two hours if I cannot do the cycle ride or something like that. But those are the slots and I respect them and I honor them. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to plan for it. We need to be disciplined and we need to be committed. I think no matter how much you work that you still have one or two hours a day exercise especially now when you can have a headset and you can listen to an audio book or you, you can download something and listen to something related to that topic and also we'll be more effective we need some space and i touched on this before i see my running cycling and swimming also as my meditation it's when i'm saying when i go out for a long bike ride that's when i'm working that's when i'm most creative that's when i work the most and I will think of things, and not, it's not co uncommon that I stop my bike ride two, three times, and I take some notes uh, in my phone notes, and that's where the biggest idea is. The breakthroughs are coming because I get that space uh, in my brain, so I believe I'm most productive then. So I have no bad feelings about going out for a bike ride because that's when the creativity kicks in. 
Yeah, the space piece, I think, is, is something that resonates with me. I, I, I've, I see it as, you know, you actually get time back, right? When, when, you, when you make that time for yourself, it actually scales your time in other areas of your life because there's clarity and you're rested and you feel connected and you feel your body. You know, there's so much that goes into that. And it's actually, while it might take you, you know, if it's an hour or two hours or three or whatever, I think you're going to get that back tenfold in in your, your ability to, you know, whether it's just from a creativity perspective or just that you don't feel so tired and you're not drained and, you know, you're actually bringing an energetic, um, you know, uh, version of yourself to whatever you're doing, whether it's family or coworkers or whatever, it uh, it makes me think about um, something else that I that I really like to to talk about, which is that there's this kind of that we want to weight the the time for ourselves equally with the time on the rest of our schedules, right? And and so what I mean by that is I'm a big proponent, like you, of it's scheduled in. You block that time out. And when that calendar alarm goes off on my computer, I treat that like a meeting with anyone else, right? It's a meeting with myself and I wouldn't miss a meeting with you and I wouldn't miss a meeting with myself, right? So the weight is equal there, but that's not often the case, right? Even with people that, that have it booked in, they, they're like, well, you know, I'll just keep working a little bit longer. Or I'll take this other meeting and it gets pushed further down the the list. Um, what does that resonate with you? That just kind of equal weight. I know we're talking about it, but again, just from like a tactical perspective, I'm curious what your experience has been, whether, you know, yourself or with executives to just get that mindset of, of this is, this is as important as anything else in my life. How do, how do, how do we, how do people get to that place? Because that's a big bridge to build often is to see that weight equally. Well, uh, again, it comes into discipline here to schedule it and stick to it. But it also comes into uh, trusting your colleagues and your peers. And we're talking about either business owners, entrepreneurs or senior executives. And it's about trusting that the team can do it and uh, empowering them and delegate the tasks to them so that you can take that uh, that space. And it's about working on your business instead of working inside your business. So by sticking to your plans also, you're actually helping yourself to grow your business and moving forward. If you're not able to do that, then you certainly need uh, to get a coach to help you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's, we, uh, yeah, maybe we take too much ownership almost over that space and we need that support group. You know, we need that external support so that we feel like we can delegate and, and create that space and time. That's a, that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, I want to move up to, um, I could talk about creating space for exercise all day long. Cause it's something that I, I believe deeply in, but, um, let's, let's move up to, or, or fast forward to your current, I want to talk a little bit about the group that you are, um, that you're managing director for, um, in Singapore, the executive, um, so, uh, support group. Um, just, I think that that's just a, it's it, one, it's a massively impactful space. And I think that's such an amazing, um, 
organization. But yeah, just just tell us about that and what led you to 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 be you know involved in, in that because I think it, it's it's going to bring it you know brings it full circle in lar- in a large way. Yeah, sure. So it's a confidential peer network, and some call it masterminds. Um, there's many of these groups out there. Also in the US, you have the YPOs and the Vistas and the Conference Board and so on. And you have different kind of networks. If it's for executives or business owners and so on. And um, our network, uh, EGN, then Executives Global Networks, is uh, specifically for senior executives, so VPs, CEOs, managing directors of larger companies, where they could feel, you know, the lonely at the top, as they say. So what we do then is that we match them with peers at their seniority level, similar responsibilities that are not competitors. Everyone then sign a non-disclosure agreement, so they should feel that this is their trusted space. Uh, they then meet six times a year for four hours, and this is scheduled a year in advance. So it's almost like having your own management team, like an external management team or your private advisory board where you can check in with them and be vulnerable and be honest and open with your challenges. If you have, for example, an upcoming presentation to your board or your boss have given you some huge challenges and you're not sure whom to talk to, yeah, well, you can certainly go to your coach and talk about it, but your coach will be able to ask you some powerful questions. But in this group, then, you have like-minded with similar responsibilities who might have done that before. So hopefully they can help you so you don't do the same mistakes as they've done. And it's when we do this, when we're helping each other in this safe format, we call it a, a safe space, then you're also building incredibly deep connections, real relationships where you practice to be vulnerable, you practice to be open because you realize the more honest and open I am with my challenges, the better support I get and vice versa. So so that's what we do and that's why I'm very, very passionate about this business and it links very nicely and also to the way I want to live my life. What's been the... I'm sure that there are there are many, but what's been the, I guess, kind of main uh, outcome that you've seen as a as a result of providing this type of space for for executives for people at the at the top? What what's what's been that? You know, maybe even it's the thing that you're most proud of, or or um, you know, the, the biggest outcome. Well. It's, it ties in very nicely to our conversation as well, because let me mention what is the number one most discussed topic in these meetings. And I've been joining hundreds of these meetings and I know what they're talking The most difficult part for anyone is managing the boss, managing the board, managing the owner, managing upwards. And exactly what you discussed also, and your, your favorite topic here uh, coming in on, how do you put parameters around yourself to protect yourself, your schedule, so that you're not burning out? Uh, this is the number one challenge that they have. And the breakthroughs, therefore, are when we are able to help each other there to put these frameworks around yourself so you can live a better life. Uh, And that is something that is difficult. But when you're in a group with like-minded who have similar responsibilities, you can learn how can you have these conversations with your boss, uh, you know, without uh, them thinking that you don't want to do your job. But it's about having, again, just being honest and open and having these conversations with the people around you. People might not understand that when they send an invite for a meeting that it's 2 a.m. your local time. It's about 
then taking a note of that and calling a meeting and just educate the people around you. And what I see in also best practice here is that some companies will say, okay, Monday or Friday, we don't have any meetings across time zones. We, the Monday and Friday is your focus time, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you say these are, and you color code perhaps in the calendars, the times when you can actually invite people in different time zones. So there's ways to manage this. But if you, if you are a senior executive in, in one office, for example, how do you have these conversations with your boss or your HR? And that's, that's where we come in and we can help everyone to have these conversations. Yeah, it's such a valuable like we talked about earlier, you know, who, who do you, who do you go to for support? I think that's so often the, the, the first, you know, potential stumbling block is you just don't know where to go. So, I mean, having an organization, um, like this and a place where that safety is, is created from the start. And you know, when you go into it, that that's the, the role is is going to be to create that space and to have those conversations that you otherwise wouldn't be able to have. That's that's incredible. Um, well, Nick, this is this has uh, really been a pleasure. I, I'm um, I could go on and on. There's there's so uh, there's so much uh, uh, overlap here in, in in your experience and my passion. But I um, yeah, I genuinely appreciate it. this. is this has been real um, real enjoyable for me, and I appreciate your your time and your vulnerability. Yeah, thank you so much, Taylor. It's been great having this conversation with you as well.